very excited about this series. And um, you have to teach, you have to teach uh, something for a while until people get it. But more and more, I'm more interested in um, you experiencing what we're talking about than you intellectually conceiving of, of its truth from the scriptures. Before we get there, welcome. It's good to have you. And if you're visiting with us for the first time, especially warm, welcome to you. Whenever Jesus had a need, God had a man or a woman or a child to meet the need. Jesus needed a donkey. He said, go into town, you'll find a guy, unlock the donkey. While you're doing it, he's going to ask you, what are you doing? Tell him the master needs it. He said, go into the city, you'll find a guy carrying a pitcher in his hand. Follow him to a place, and then when he, when you, he goes, why are you following me? Say, where's the place that you prepared for the master for the upper room? Uh, when he needed to feed the 5,000, he stole a boy's lunch, right? The, the, when Jesus had a need... God had a man or a woman or a child to meet the need. In other words, uh, God prospers people and then he calls them to share some of the prosperity he just gave them with somebody else who's going through a tough patch. This is the nature of the kingdom. Uh, a friend of mine just was building a church for cash. Um, and I had called him and I felt like the Lord told me to give him a word about, you've done this before, and the Lord says you can do it again, because he was just about to build this building, and it was $6 million, and, and he, he was like, man, I don't know, and, and I, but I felt like the Lord said, go for it, and so he said, all right, we're going to build for cash, Now he had no money, actually, that's not true, they had about $100,000, so he took the 100000 and gave it away to another church, because he said, if we're going to trust God, we might as well trust God, you know, if you're going to walk on water, it might as well be deep water, you know, this is, it's like, it doesn't matter if it's only an inch, nobody will believe you. So, um, and he said, a, um, he, he wasn't there, but a poor lady walked into his church. And she said, my father had been collecting coins his whole life. And he left me a note. He said, these coins are not for you. These coins are for a church that the Lord is going to show you. And she came in, very poor lady, not, not, not a wealthy woman. She put down, there was about five and a half million dollars worth of coins and said, the Lord spoke to me and told me to give them to you. That's pretty cool. When Jesus had a need, God had a man or a woman. And that sometimes, that's wonderful when you're the beneficiary, but I want to talk about being the person, I want to talk about being the man with a picture in his hand that people have to follow and then you're the person that God has prospered so that you can give. Because there is a greater blessing, Jesus said, in that position than in the receiving position. There's a better adventure. There's a, a better kingdom of value. And so um, part of at least what I'd like to suggest to you is part of the resources that are in your, under your control. Maybe you want to say, Lord, this is extra. I'd like to sow it under your leadership. Could you show me? Sometimes he'll tell you to wait. Sometimes he'll tell you to save it, like that person for 40 years. Sometimes he'll tell you, I want you to give this to that person. That adventure is part of the kingdom. This is the way the kingdom works. 2 Corinthians 8 says, Our desire is not that you be hard-pressed at this time while others are benefited, but that there might be equality. 
At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much and the one who gathered little did not have too little. I would like to suggest that you take part of whatever you have uh, and you say, Lord, I would really like to invest this in the kingdom. And uh, listen for a while. And if you're a married couple, listen together. Uh, come to a place of agreement. If, ladies, if you think you should give 5,000 and your husband thinks you should give two, then you have agreement at two. Amen? Or the other way around. Go where you have agreement and sow. And see what the Lord will do. There is an adventure. And there is a blessing. Being the person that when the kingdom has a need, you're the one who helps meet that need. It invests in a kingdom reality and in kingdom investment in your own heart like nothing else will. Father, we come to you and we're asking that you would lead us by your spirit into this area of kingdom giving, that you would take us on an adventure, Lord, that you would show us your heart and your will in Jesus' name. Amen. The usual ways you can give. Thank you so much for your generosity. We appreciate it. Uh, you gave. Uh, we're taking $10,000 with us, um, I leave this evening. And uh, your, your generosity has been a blessing. And we're going to make sure that some churches who desperately need that are going to get that. And we appreciate it. I want to talk about embracing the wind uh, today in this message. We're talking about the winds of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the power of the wind and, and the way the Holy Spirit moves. <clears throat> I've been doing a little reading up on wind turbines and all around the world, how we try and harness the wind. How do we try to meet our energy needs by harnessing the winds? And it's been a fascinating little interesting. There are different kinds of blades, I found out, according to different ideas. Some blades of horizontal and some of vertical, some spin around in circles. Different people in different countries are doing different things. There are <clears throat> uh, tunnel turbines where they try and harness the wind and they create tunnels for the wind to blow down. There's high altitude. There's uh, one group that has balloons in the air and they, because the higher up, the, the, the faster the wind usually blows and so people get up in the air. There's one group in um, Scotland, I believe, they run offshore kites, two offshore kites that go up and down with the wind and it creates electricity. There's a, there's a typhoon turbine, which I found fascinating, which they only put up for a few hours, you know, once or twice a year. Man, does it work well for a little while. Um, the problem is that we need the wind to flow constantly at the same speed from the same direction in order to maximize our engagement with it. The problem with the wind is it doesn't keep blowing in the same direction. Because if it did, we could set up structures to harness the wind. But the wind being the wind doesn't conform to our structures, right? And so gusty, chaotic winds, variable wind speeds really don't fit well with fixed place rigid machinery. And so there's a struggle on how do we capture, how do we constantly capture the wind? John 3.8. We started here last week. Let me take you back there. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and he makes this statement. 
The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. <clears throat> the innate flexibility, the ability to adjust and to follow, to respond in real time to gentle instructions or to shouts, to rest and then to flow, to speed up and to function with just a whisper, this is what it's like to be born again, Jesus said. This is like following the wind. There is no rigid set structure that can constantly harness the wind. The wind is mercurial, demanding, whimsical, dangerous, powerful. And in order to keep ourselves tuned to the wind, we need to be flexible too. We need to be able to adjust. We need to be ready for change. Relationship is required. So I can't write this down for you. I can't give you the 10 commandments of relationship with the Holy Spirit. I can only encourage you to learn to respond to what he's doing right now. So well, that's not my personality, but it is his personality. Jesus said, this is how it's gonna be with everyone who's born of the Spirit. You're gonna hear, you're gonna feel gusts. There's gonna be things blowing. You're gonna have to turn and change and respond to the many different facets of how the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And you are specifically designed to be able to do that. This is why rigid religion does not do well with the things of the Spirit. <clears throat> and the more rigid our religion is, the more we set up, no, no, the wind is gonna come down this valley, this is how we do it, this is what, and every now and again, the wind is gonna blow down that valley and it's gonna light you up. But when the wind's blowing another way, you're gonna be bone dry for a while. No lights, no joy. This is how it will be with everyone born of the Spirit. You cannot discern the air's flowing. You only know that it exists because of its effect that it produces in you. So will everyone be born of the Spirit. The effects are as discernible and sensible as those of the wind. So let's talk about how do I embrace the wind, following the wind by embracing him. Four things Jesus said just 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 off the bat, <clears throat> that the Holy Spirit was going to be doing. So the four gusts of winds. I'm just gonna talk about four of the things the Holy Spirit is gonna be doing. And sometimes he, uh, he, he, this wind blows steady, the headwind blows straight at you for months and months and months. Because the Holy Spirit is trying to talk to you about your identity. And it feels like you can't miss that wind is just blowing. And he's talking to you about identity and you switch on the radio and they're talking about identity and you, your phone, somebody sends you an email, hey, you, you need to know this. Um, because this is what it's going to be like. So I want to talk to you about four different aspects of what the, the Holy Spirit's going to do, four different winds that are going to be blowing through your life because Jesus promised it. <clears throat> this is what it says in John 16. Truly I tell you, it is good for you that I'm going away because unless I go away, the advocate, it's an interesting word in the Greek, para, kaleo, two Greek words, para means alongside and kaleo is to call the one who's been called alongside you to help you. So it's variously translated as the comforter or the advocate or the intercessor, but the one whose specific job is to come alongside you and to partner with you to help you. It says, unless I go, the paraclete, parakaleo, won't come, and he will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So the first thing Jesus promised that he would do is that he would convict the world. <clears throat> now, 
have to be careful with this because some people go, some people have, have taken that as the Holy Spirit is going to convict the church. But Jesus didn't say to convict the church. He said to convict the world. And there's a difference. Let me get to it. When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, much more than you can now bear. Have you ever had somebody who considers themselves to be your personal Holy Spirit? They volunteer to point out your every mistake and every blemish, and it's not a happy way to live. I've had a few people volunteer. I'd like to be your Holy Spirit. I go, I have one. He's perfect. And um, Somehow the church has embraced the notion that it is our job to be the Holy Spirit to the world, that it's our job to point out to them every blemish and mistake where they fall short from the glory of God. But at the Jerusalem Council, the, the Jews, the, they got up and said, listen, man, we've been trying this legalistic thing for thousands of years and none of us, none of our ancestors, none of us can get it right. And so Paul says, you guys couldn't pull this off. Why are you now trying to put this on the Gentiles? Well, you couldn't pull it off. Somehow we got it in our hearts as a church, generally, that it's our job to be the moral pol police. Now, I know that there are some things that are plainly evil and we should stand against that. Absolutely, take a stand on righteousness. I'm, I'm not saying don't take a stand. There are some things that are wrong, patently, and you should be the one saying, yeah, I don't know, that's not right, I'm not doing that. All happy with that. But our primary role as the church is not to go and pick out the, the faults of everybody else because you don't like it and they don't like it. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will convict the world. He will prove them wrong. <clears throat> and there's a way that he goes about doing this. There are eternal truths that sit behind this idea. Jesus explained them to us. And if you're clear on them, then I would suggest you can join the Holy Spirit in that. But I'm not even clear on them. So let me show Sin, Jesus connects to unbelief. He said, because people do not believe in me. He's going to prove the world to be wrong because of their sin, because people don't believe in me. He connects righteousness to his unseen position in heaven. He'll convict them about righteousness because I'm going to be going to the Father and I'm going to be sitting up there. I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, is what Jesus said. And he can, connects judgment to the condemnation of the enemy because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Do you understand that there's eternal truths behind what, what the Holy Spirit is doing and we, we've, we've, never mind all of that, we're just going to go tell, point out people, hey, don't, don't do that. Because somehow we think that if we can get unbelievers to a certain moral standard, then we've done our job. But our job is not to get unbelievers to obey a certain moral standard. Our job is to preach the gospel so the gospel can transform unbelievers. Far more than morality policing. This is kingdom truth recognition. So Jesus said, this is what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He's going to prove the world. He's going to go after people. He's going to go knock on the door and say to people, hey, 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 Jesus loves you. You can come closer to me. This is going on all the time because the Holy Spirit is faithful to do everything that Jesus promised he would do. So when you encounter somebody who does not yet know Jesus, understand that you're not the only one. Jesus said he will speak of me. He will testify about me. But you can also testify. 
So when I'm standing with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, my job is not to point out, oh, 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 look at all this. My job is to respond to the Holy Spirit who's already convicting them. My job is to say, Lord, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? Because he's got an agenda here, folks, and it's way bigger than mine. I have to get on his page. He doesn't have to get on mine. Secondly, Jesus said he'll counsel you. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you about what is yet to come. He will counsel you. He'll guide us into truth. He'll speak about things that are coming up. We have a coach in our ear, a counselor who loves us, who seeks the absolute best for us if we follow his results. And when we follow his results, as Romans 8, 6 says, that the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. So the Holy Spirit's whispering, hey, do this. And when we constantly respond, if we let our minds be controlled by what he's doing, if we walk into a, a rich harvest of life with a capital L that Jesus said I came to give you, abundant life, and great peace. What an offer. He will counsel you. He'll tell you about stuff that's coming down the pike. <laughs> it's very exciting. It becomes addictive once, once it becomes habit-forming, when the Holy Spirit whispers to you about what's coming. You start to, you start to rely on that whisper about what's coming. I could tell you stories. So how should we respond to the Holy Spirit like this? Well, firstly, we have to make up our minds to be responsive. When I hear the wind's chimes or I feel the clap of the sails as the fresh wind just hits them, then, then I need to learn to lean in, to say an internal yes, to say, okay, Lord, what are you, what are you doing? Okay, I'm, I'm aware. Yes, I'm in. What, what are we doing? And then just dare to be bold. Well, Greg, I don't, I, don't, I don't like this in the moment stuff. Give me a structure. Uh, a structure is going to work intermittently. This relationship is going to work all the time. Because sometimes his voice is going to be like a raging waterfall, and sometimes it's going to be as gentle as the softest whisper. Sometimes you're going to feel it powerfully in your spirit, I have to do this thing, and sometimes you'll be like, your heart will be beating, and you'll, should I do that? Maybe like me. Learning to, learning to respond to the different things the Holy Spirit is doing, that's the adventure. And it's going to be hard for you to point him out because it's internal. <clears throat> so he whispers in your heart and then you do it and then it produces fruit. And then people go, wow, that was so wise. And now the temptation is, no, that, that's the Holy Spirit. And that just freaks people out, right? People go, well, I mean, that's weird. Just go, you know, oh, you know, God is so kind. Just, it's okay. The Holy Spirit understands. You can give him glory personally all the time. Go, Lord, look at you. Now, so, so what I'm saying is, let it, let it be setting appropriate. If you're at work and the Holy Spirit drops an idea and you go with it and it produces great fruit, say thank you. Come and tell people in the group, God did something beautiful. But you don't have to say to your boss, bless God, amen, hallelujah, that was the Holy Spirit. Because just freak him out. Okay? 
Number three, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would be a conduit. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, says Jesus. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Jesus came in and achieved for you a magnificent inheritance. It was his will. God ordained it. Jesus paid for it, established it, went back to heaven, proved with his body and his blood that the final sacrifice had been made. The Father said, that I completely accept that. Have a seat, Jesus. And because that blood was shed, the will of the testator was made available because you cannot release the contents of the inheritance until the death of the person who made the will has been proven. And so when that blood was shed on the mercy seat in heaven, God said, okay, death has been proven. Now that will that Jesus had put into effect is now made available to the heirs of everything. And you, my friend, are an heir of the covenant of Abraham and the covenant that God made with himself. You have a delightful inheritance if you're in Christ. That's why Jesus said he'll take from me and make it known to you. He is the interpreter and the executor of the will of God. Amen? Holy Spirit is the executor of the will that Jesus made out for you. So there's a remarkable unity here on display. Jesus is receiving everything from the Father, and he's now handing it to the Spirit, who's now making it available to us. The Holy Spirit has come to set up a kingdom. And it's not another kingdom to the one that Jesus was building. It is exactly the same kingdom. He will take from mine, make it known to you, and you'll set up the kingdom on earth. So that's the beauty of what's going on. So how do we respond to this conduit thing that the Holy Spirit will come? He'll sometimes come to you and say, let me just pour out this kingdom. Well, I just want to say, I dare you to embrace whatever he shows you. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will just come and I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm engaged and, I, and he whispers something in my ear. And the easiest thing for me to do is to go, yeah, I'm really busy. I've got, you know, I've got stuff to do. And I've learned now to just pause, pause this, whatever this is, and just take a moment to listen to what he said. The amount of times an idea has come out of left field and I stopped and I paused and I thought about it and then I engaged with it and and fruit came out of it. That is a thing of beauty. I, I want you, uh, three times this week, stop me. I was, my, in my thoughts were going, hey, stop me. Dropped an idea in my head and said, this is for that person. I go, I don't want to call that person and tell them this. This is intimate. This is in their knitting. This is, you sure you want me to, I've I got stuff I could do here, Lord. He goes, the moment I feel the wind, I've had to learn to stop, embrace this moment. Because he's trying to be a conduit. He's trying to take something of an inheritance and deliver it. And he loves to use you. Not just for you, but for other people. Right? Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things, we've preached about this before. The secret things, they belong to the Lord. But the things that he reveals, they belong to us and to our children. That's fascinating to me. Think about this. When God takes something that is precious to him, a revelation, an aspect of his nature, something of how the kingdom works, and he delivers it to you, that is a precious 
thing that used to be secret has now been revealed to you. And he intends it to be yours and your children's. This means that everything he gives me, I should share with my kids at least, at a minimum. Because we, we learn to walk into spiritual truth and we learn to gain new ideas and they profoundly impact us. So receive those moments for the precious gifts that they are and treat them accordingly. Use it, think about it, exercise with it. You'll find that if you develop this internal response to his voice, a breeze just came and he's wanting to download. So what we think in our rigid structures is that, okay, on Sunday morning for an hour and a half, we are open up wide, speak to me, Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, anyone born of the Spirit is like the wind. So we come to church and we go, okay, okay, I'm going to put aside all the rest of the week. Speak to me, Lord, for an hour and a half on a Sunday. And he's going, yeah, I'm happy to do that. What I'd also like on Tuesday afternoon or Thursday morning, is that okay? We want to create structures. He wants a relationship. <laughs> Woo. About three people caught that. That was worth it. <laughs> comfort. The Holy Spirit wants to comfort us. Man. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. Oh, it's such a joy to allow that, that beautiful voice of the Holy Spirit just to whisper, testifying how much God loves you. You're a beloved child. I love you, son. Welcome. It's good to have you here. There's something internally nourishing about this ministry of the Holy Spirit. He wants to comfort you. Because you are His sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our heart, the Spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. The point of this is that sometimes the Holy Spirit will draw me near and I feel this un uncharacteristic moment of intimacy with God. And again, I might be in the middle of something and I've learned, pause that, embrace this. Because I, I, I want to go, but Lord, I'm working here. I'll turn, okay, hour and a half, you've got it. And he doesn't always move that way. The wind doesn't always blow on Sunday mornings for one and a half hours. Making any sense to anyone? He'll come to you with all measure of comfort. <laughs> That's so nice. Speaks tenderly and insistently about his love. He reminds you you're God's child and that you're family members and you're heirs and I love you and I'll never give you up and I'll never back away from you and I will not open my hand and no one can pluck you from my hand. And I chose you and I didn't reject you. And, and there is nothing in all of creation and there's nothing that ever will exist that will ever be able to remove you from my love. And he helps and he teaches us to approach the Father with appropriate tenderness and closeness. You come in nervous that the Father's going to judge you back in. I'm going to hide you in the corner. He goes, no, 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 come here, come here. Let's go up here where the favorites walk in. Let's go up here where the fat cats are. Let's go up here in the beloved section. That's where you belong. We cry Abba under his tutelage. So how do we respond? Take those moments of intimacy. 
I suspect this is the underlying engine room for our ability to be able to pray continuously. The Holy Spirit brings you something and you just open the sails to that wind and just let, let, it, let him blow. Just take. Sometimes that goes on for days. Sometimes it's 10 seconds. How's it going to be for me, Greg? I don't know. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You're going to hear its sound and you're going to see its effects. And that's how it's going to be with everyone who's born of the Spirit. <laughs> I've made up my mind. I want to be almost constantly open to responding to whatever the wind is doing right now. So, Greg, can't I plan stuff? Can't I work hard? No, all of that is go about your business. Be yourself. Live in your reality. Be your personality type. I don't, all of that is valid. Plan, prepare, strategize, do all of that. But on top of that, I promise you, the Holy Spirit's going to blow in and go, hey, what about this? So, I'm not sure how much time I have, but it, it looks like I'm going late. Um, <laughs> I've got time. It's wonderful. Hang in there. <laughs> now. Okay. Let's talk about fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. So I want to get real practical. How do you fellowship with the Holy Spirit? Ask questions. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Uh, it's a benediction. Uh, Paul's saying the grace of Jesus, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit. People say, oh, that doesn't mean actually fellowship with the Holy Spirit. No, well, he means the grace of Jesus and the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Spirit. You can't take one of those away and say the other two are extremely valid, but that one doesn't work anymore. The other two we still need, but the third one, that ended at the apostolic age. Some people do that. They go, wow, how do you do that? There's a presumption that you are receiving the grace of Jesus, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Again, unfortunately, so many people have tried to make this spooky. So many people have tried to use this moment where they are used by the Holy Spirit in some supernatural way, and they've tried to use that moment to elevate themselves about other people, which is preposterous, because the Spirit is poured out on all flesh. That's the that's the promise of, of Joel. Joel said, my spirit will be poured out on all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Don't get fancy about, well, I prophesied. Well, everybody should prophesy. Even on your maidservants, he said. Everybody's going to be doing this. This is not a mechanism to find, oh, oh, see how wonderful I am. This is the expectation that everybody in the church should be functioning in. Philippians 2. If you have any consolation in Christ... If any comfort of his love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, then make my love complete by being like-minded. There really are only two responses. You go nearer to investigate or you run away out of fear or mockery. There doesn't seem to be a middle ground anywhere that I can find. When the Holy Spirit starts to move, People do one of two things. They run towards him, they run away from him. They walk towards him, 
They walk away from him. Moses drew near to see why the bush was still burning because he noticed it burning half an hour ago and then he noticed it burning 15 minutes ago and now he's seeing it's still burning and nothing's burning up and so it's clearly a supernatural, spectacular something is going on and Moses walks towards it. Wonder what's going on here. Most people would run away from it. So I just want to dare you. Next time you feel that snap of the sails because it's filled with wind. Next time there's an internal whisper. And for you, uh, you say, Greg, how does that work? I don't know. You'll know when he, happen, when he does it to you because you know already how, when he does it to you. When you feel him whisper to you, that snap of the wind, ask him some questions. Come near. Expect a response. In um, Acts 2, it says Philippians 2, but it's actually Acts 2. My mistake. It says, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. This is the day of Pentecost. And when they heard the sound, which was like a violent, mighty wind. Remember? In Jerusalem, everybody's quiet. Suddenly, everybody hears a hurricane blowing in the city. Everybody looks out. The sky is clear. Not a leaf is blowing anywhere, but they can hear the hurricane. And the whole crowd comes out. And they follow the sound to the upper room where 120 people with tongues of fire are speaking in tongues. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked. Aren't all of these people speaking Galileans? How then? Is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Jerusalem, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Two responses. They came near, the crowd drew near to ask, and others mocked and said, this is nonsense. My experience is that this is an internal decision you make. Uh, the best thing you can do is not be weird with people outside. Be yourself with people outside. But this is an internal discipline, an internal habit that we learn to, to, to go. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Do you want to tell me something about this person? What do you have to say? Ask these questions. Because I found that the Holy Spirit starts to answer specific questions. It's easier for you when you ask a question and he responds to capture the response in a context than to just have your sails open for any wind that blows. So asking questions is a helpful tool as you start to say, Lord, what are you doing right now? What, what if anything, do you want me to say to this person? Uh, is there anything that would please you right now in these circumstances? Sometimes I've had the Lord say, the best thing you can do is be quiet. I suspect for you it'll be the same. People say, you're very quiet today. I go, yeah. Why? Because... I felt a whisper, your speaking here is not going to help. 
which is astounding because <laughs> asking questions and then waiting for a reply begins to teach us a discipline. It also begins to set this ability in us to be responsive to the Holy Spirit and whatever He's doing. Sometimes it's dead still. Lord, why is it dead still? Sometimes I set uh, reminders in my calendar. I have eight reminders in my calendar right now to remind me. They ping on my phone, on my iPad, on my computer. I go, oh yes. Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want to say? I know that's regimented, but it's something that helps me just, it's just a, just a little splinter in the mind to go, hey, 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 hey. Listen to what the Lord's doing. Ask Him what He wants. Just a reminder. I'd like to suggest to you that the Holy Spirit wants you to know Him. This happens regularly to me. Regularly. Where he, because I'm asking... He'll whisper to me about people. And I'm not particularly a prophetic person. I'm not a prophet. But I'm prophesying 15, 20 times a month to people all around the world. Just call them up. Hey, I, I, I was just felt the wind. felt the snap of the wind and I just captured this. And sometimes it's short and sometimes it's long and sometimes it's just an idea and the amount of times, the amount of times that people go, thank you so much for that. That's just come at the right time. And I had zero knowledge of that. But Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you'll bear a lot of eternal fruit. And I just want to encourage you. The Holy Spirit wants to use you to bring fruit out of your life. And it's not going to come by the exercise of your wisdom or your strength. It's going to come by your willingness to respond to the wind of his voice, of what he's doing in your heart. So let me dare you. I dare you. Take some time this week and say, Holy Spirit, I really, really would like to be used by you. I really would like to get to know you. Do you speak to me about somebody? At something. If you don't know where else to start, start with your spouse. Say, Lord, talk to me about my spouse. He told me this week, last week, your wife is a treasure. Treat her like it. Start treating her like it. Say, yes, sir. <laughs> Friends, there's a beauty. There's a relationship that you were designed for.
God put a spirit in you. He gave that spirit life. The Holy Spirit indwells your spirit. You were designed. You were designed by God to be a temple in which the Holy Spirit lives. You, this is not foreign to you. This is your design. Corinthians says the body was not made for sexual immorality, but the body was designed for the Lord. You were designed to be housed, a house for the Holy Spirit to live. You were called into being so that the Holy Spirit could bring forth work through your life that he prepared in advance for you to do. Let me pray for us. All day long, the Lord's been talking to me about it. Judith, Judith, if you hear, the Lord says, there's many, many, many more chances for you. This is not the end. This is not the end. Don't give up. I love you. Lord, there's not a person in this room, I don't think, who doesn't want to know you better. There's no one here, Lord, that doesn't want to hear your voice. So, Lord, as a people, we're asking you to teach us. Personally, corporately. We open up our hearts to you. Lead us, Lord. Lead us to where you want us to go. In Jesus' name, amen.